0: It gets better, cause it has to get better We're all made of human I'm going to start this episode by warning you uh, there will be a mention of suicide in this episode so if that is uh, a subject that uh, makes you feel uh, really uncomfortable maybe you don't want to listen to this it's not, I mean we're not joking about it per se it's uh it's we, we talk about jack's personal experience with uh with grief and suicide comes up we're going to talk uh, a lot about masculinity and and the problem with male suicide so just so you're aware we will be mentioning that if you're okay with that then i just want to say welcome to the made of human podcast also called Mopad by cool kids so I have Jack Rook on as a guest. I'm Sophie Hagen. I'm the host. It's my podcast. I'm technically a stand-up comedian. If you ever want to see me do actual comedy on a live stage, <laughs> uh, you can see me at Soho Theatre in May, the first week of May. Uh, you can. It's my show Shimmer Shatter. It'll be the last time I ever do it live, ever. You can get tickets for that at sohotheater.com. And if you want to, I'm going to be touring at some point. Wink, wink, secret, maybe, possible, who knows? I I know, I definitely will. And if you want to know when and where and get tickets for that, join my newsletter at sophiehagen.com forward slash newsletter. I also just send out uh, a newsletter every month where I completely overshare and tell you all the stuff that you don't need to know and that I will later get complaints about from people uh, I've mentioned in the new sellers so uh, another little piece of news is i just want to say thank you to everyone who's tweeting me and instagramming me photos of you wearing the made of human podcast t-shirts it is i can't even i can't even begin to describe it's it's bigger than anything my face on the t-shirt it's i mean that was never that wasn't even a dream that is just um Astonishing! I'm so grateful, and I want to scream and squeal every time I see it. The first time I see one in like in real life, I'm I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose my actual uh, mind. So um, thank you for that. You can buy the t-shirts at madeofhumanpodcast.com at under sh- shop, and there's two. Where the theme is um, uh, from the Susan Kalman episodes, uh, hashtag Sophie and Susan in the caravan, and then there's one with just a new logo uh, by Linda Brinkhaus, and it's uh, it's beautiful, and I love it, and I'm wearing it right now, but as my pajamas, I wouldn't wear it in public yet. Maybe I will. Anyways, this episode is uh, I have Jack Rook on as a guest. I love him. I love Jack Rook, and I can I've kind of teased you on Twitter saying that I'm going to have him as a guest I've already had people be really happy about that I mean he already has a fan base he's extra I wrote down the second he'd done the episode I wrote down in my notebook everyone needs Jack Rook that's how I feel I feel like we all need Jack Rook in our lives and I'm so happy to bring you uh, bring him to you now and you're so lucky because Jack is on tour from March 27th till uh, late June, and he's going to do shows in uh, London, Manchester, Oxford, Newcastle, and, and loads, loads more. And if you're anywhere near any of the the, you can go to uh, JackRook.com and uh, and and check out the dates and the and get some tickets. He is so brilliant; you're going to love him so much. So um, also, you can see his debut comedy show, Good Grief on uh, as a as a how do you say that as a Radio 4 adaption on BBC Radio iPlayer right now I am so excited I still haven't gotten around to I, I, I got to know him after he was finished performing it so I can't wait to hear it I cannot wait uh, I'm going to do that uh, tonight before I sleep so you <laughs> will love Jack Rook you will just um, as you're nice people and I keep bragging about how nice you are which is a kind of pathetic, I know, but uh, I do these shows in London, Lon- London, <laughs> Jesus, I'm still in Denmark. I haven't spoken English for such a long time. In London, in, Lon- in London, London, I do these shows uh, called "Sophie Hagen is Alone with Other People." It's about it's twice a month that I do this. It's me hosting, just having a, a fun time with people. and Then I bring on guests, so uh, guest comedians. A lot of them uh, has uh, has been on. Uh, on the part and some of them will definitely come <laughs> get on later. And um, anyways, uh, you can always um, go to um, com at shiawop, S-H-I-A-W-O-P, which is surveyhagen.com with other people, and you can get tickets for that. It's always so much fun. What was I going to say with that? I had a point. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Okay, so because I have friends there performing uh, afterwards, the, they're always so... Um, happy with my audience they always go oh my god you're the Sophie Hagen audience is amazing and I remember the first time I gigged there's a Danish comedian called Simon Talbert. and I remember there was <clears throat> like every time he hosted an open mic his audience would come and it was so obvious when people were Simon Talbert audiences and I it was my dream that maybe one day there'd be a Sophie Hagen audience and I think there might be I think there actually might be a Sobe Hagen audience, uh, and that's you. I mean, you could just be here for the podcast, and you really want me to shut up now. But the people who show up at my gigs—it's, um, yeah—I'm really happy. I'm really happy. <laughs> you're cool. You're cool people. Or maybe you're not. Maybe that's why you're you're awesome because you're not actually cool. None of us are cool, are we? Anyways, so uh, <laughs> do enjoy. Uh, this episode with uh, one of my good friends, the wonderful and amazing Jack Rook. <laughs> this is weird. This is so weird because there are people filming. Because this is going to be in your uh, documentary.
1: Yeah. But, but the people filming are like the loveliest, loveliest <laughs> boys. If there's anybody that I'd <laughs> like to lovely. film me chatting to you, it would be Graham and Billy.
0: It is. They are very lovely. It's just weird. Like, we're not allowed to to sit opposite each other. We have to sit like with our sides to each other, (laughs) which is very weird. It's
1: kind of like having a chat with someone when you're on the train and one of you sat on like the front booth and one of you's on the flappy out down seat. And that analogy you'll only get if you ever get on the Metropolitan Line on a regular basis, (laughs) which I do. I live on the Met Line. Oh, it's great! It smells like weed. I think it's like the biggest drug cartel. 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 cartel? No idea. <laughs> no idea. Don't ask the Danish girl about <laughs> <laughs> that English. Cartel? Pronounced.
0: cartel. 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 I think
1: it's the biggest drug cartel. Because
0: you wouldn't say cartel drug cartel.
1: Drugs run. I'm going to just use the word run. Okay. And uh, it always smells like weed, and it goes from Aldgate in the east of London all the way to Chesham, which is basically like the Midlands. And it constantly smells like marijuana. Oh, you
0: think they're selling it
1: there? I think they under the seats. do all of the like weed sales along the Metropolitan line. I think they stop off, they drop a bit off in Wembley, a bit in Harrow, a bit of Green and Pinner like, I think well, that's it.
0: They're happy about the all night uh, open tube line, aren't they?
1: But it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not on there. But I think when the night tube hits the Metropolitan line, yeah. there we're will gonna be, you're going to have to legalize drugs.
0: Yeah. We're going to have an issue. Yeah. Legalize
1: drugs. 2018. I just, the BBC three documentary is definitely not going <laughs> to include that. I just
0: want, uh, I want you to put the word cunt in every single sentence just to make sure that they don't <laughs> basically, <laughs> if, you, if there's anything you don't want to, in the documentary that you're going to say in this podcast, just say cunt lot." Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're looking at me like, you can if you want.
0: Hey, I let them film this. I never said I wouldn't say (laughs) cunt. I never said I wouldn't.
1: (laughs) Oh dear. Well, what's it called? I think that I have realised that I swear all the time even when I'm not being aggressive and people think I'm a l- much more aggressive person than I actually am no one
0: thinks you're aggressive
1: no a lot of people Who a lot you're of aggressive if you're if the I'm the
0: least aggressive person I've ever exa-
1: met I think I'm the least aggressive person but if I say something and I'm in a slightly bad mood it sounds like I'm in a really bad mood oh. so I'll be like for fuck's sake but really yeah. I'm just like oh that's annoying
0: Okay, yeah, I get that because I was a bit ati- intimidated there. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's really, yeah. he's really upset now. He's really upset. Even though you'd preempted it by saying, I will now say something that makes me sound <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> yeah. I was still like, oh God, oh here God. we
1: go. He's so he's unleashed. Um But will
0: you promise to be uh, like you would be if the cameras weren't here?
1: Yeah, I've had to learn that. I thought that my dream would be to have cameras following me around all the mm-hmm. time, documenting my every glory. Um, yeah. But actually, no, no. Is, is because but no, but no. But that sounds like I'm being horrible about these guys. It's just because sometimes I'm really sweaty. Sometimes <laughs> I've got like a drippy nose, like right now today.
0: But I think I think I had, I've had the same fantasy, but. Then you realise you have to do that. Oh, can you just walk into the building again? And oh w- walk into the building one more time and then look more casual. Look as if we're not here and then pretend to say hello to your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Oh god, I, in my real life I do things once. <laughs> 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 There's no, no double ticks in real life. <laughs> <coughs> what what's the documentary oh, you're doing?
1: Sorry, I've got a really bad cough, so I might cough a lot. Yeah you can do you that. You can cut That's that fine. I can
0: cut it out.
1: Um, so the documentary it's called Happy Man. And it's like a three-part series for BBC three. And and do you know what? It's actually it's really exciting because they approached me about it last year and they just tweeted me. They were like, Hey Jack, what are you up to? Wanna come in and have a tea? Well, like
0: at BBC.
1: At BBC Three just tweeted at Jack Rook and <laughs> was like, What are you doing? Like there was no by that point I didn't have an agent. So right. it was just like Winging it, and I went. Did
0: you uh, have an email address?
1: I had. I had one email address <laughs> and one Twitter account and one phone number. And they nice managed to get all me. three. And, um, and so I went in there and basically what I wanted was for BBC Three to film all the films for my new show mm-hmm. that I'm working on with Soho Theatre. And I was like, if I get BBC Three to make all the films and I could get it put on at Soho Theatre, that means I get to spend none of my money and get all the glory. Oh, brilliant. But then they were like, no, but mm-hmm. we will make something with you about the, the topic of the show. So essentially the next year for me is to look at happiness and look at it through the guise of like severe unhappiness Mm. so for the past five years i've been an ambassador for a charity called calm which stands for the campaign against living miserably uh, which is a campaign everyone should be involved in even though it's a it is you know specifically a male suicide prevention charity and that is to sort of tackle the fact that suicide is the single biggest killer of men in this country It, it is like an everybody thing like the majority of people actually that can't help when I've like ever volunteered or been on the phones, whatever is wives, girlfriends, sisters, you know, it is a sort of like everybody thing. But for me, I've been really quite, I suppose, affected by, um, men totally not being able to convey any sort of emotion Mm. or, cope in times of like a trauma so when I was 15 in the middle of my GCSEs my dad just quite suddenly died and he sort of was diagnosed with cancer 10 days before he died so it was like the most sort of shocking sort of like really takes the wind out of you situation Mm. and then I had to like go and do my GCSEs and try and become a person (laughs) which was also really strange and I found that Everybody around me, my whole support network was women. Mm. And I think I come from a sort of matriarchal working class family where it's always been the women that have been emotionally strong enough to cope in times of a trauma or in times of a tragedy. And the men have always really relinquished into themselves. So like my brother, I've got two brothers, they both had essentially breakdowns. And we didn't really speak. And then my uncle just sort of like vanished for a bit. And then my granddad, it was really sad because it it triggered the onset of dementia. And so there are all these men that in my family just sort of one by one, just like went. they were like ghosts of themselves. And all I had was like my aunties grafting, being like, no, we're going to rebuild everything. We're going to start from scratch. It's going to be fine. And it made me realize actually that, you know, the stereotype, I suppose, that we put forward of men as the breadwinner and men as the people that are keeping the family strong is total bullshit. Because without my Auntie Rose and my Auntie Jenny and my mum and my nan, I would be literally nowhere. I'd probably be a stoner at home watching loose women in my pants eating monster munch. And sometimes I do do that. I was
0: like, that's not my main career. (laughs)
1: Um, But yeah, and and so I got involved with Calm. And then it's a strange one because I got involved in Calm and then I was at university and I was on a scholarship. And the only other person that I knew that was also on a scholarship for my course, I studied journalism, documentary making, was this guy called Ollie. And we sort of like instantly hit it off, even though on paper we were like polar opposites. So he was like, he loved like beer, Newcastle United, boobs, 90s hip hop and boobs. And (laughs) I liked men. I think I like men. Maybe I like men. I like men. That was it. (laughs) That was basically university. And we sort of plucked up this friendship because at the time when I first started performing, I was doing like stand-up poetry. So I was doing little bits of poems and awful, awful, horrific spoken word, which sadly I can't bury on the internet. And, um, and he used to come with me to all these nights that I was gigging at. And he was like my sort of fan girl. And whenever I had a bad gig, he'd be like, no, you get over it. You do it again. And whenever I had to have a good gig, he'd be like, That was it. It was incredible. It was like having an agent, actually. Mm -hmm. And we had this sort of like 18-month-long bromance where we became incredibly codependent on each other. And we used to meet up. He lived in Cricklewood in North West London, and I lived in West Hampstead, and in the middle is Kilburn. So we used to meet up along Kilburn High Road, which is this sort of like very weird beautiful mishmash of cultures and backgrounds and it's like heavily populated by the irish in the last like however many decades and it's got a real mix of like turkish bengali irish ink like it's like a proper it's like world town is how i would describe kilburn and we used to meet up at all these pubs along kilburn high road during happy hour and essentially get really really fucked and talk about his depression and talk about I I don't want to say my depression because I don't ever feel like I've had depression in a sort of chemical sense I think I've gone through things that are really depressing but I've never been on antidepressants or anything like that and we just had this like blossoming bromance is the only way i can describe it where it's like two people who came from very similar backgrounds nobody in their family had ever been to uni before we found ourselves at sort of like liberal arts college where everybody's dad was either like a famous writer or a broadcaster or their mum was writing for the observer or something like that and we stuck out like a sore thumb and it was really good because i found somebody else that i could relate to that i could also fuck up with I could like make mistakes, that I could learn about things. And, you know, we both weren't perfect. I mean, it's really interesting because this is sort of what the theme of my new show is. And it's me sort of exploring lots of things that I think you develop when you go from small town mentality to city mentality. So like one example... <coughs> I never ever thought that blackface was wrong (laughs) (laughs) like I never thought that blackface or yellowface was wrong I was like how is this wrong we had this like um, freshers party at university and it's pop stars and porn stars and I turned up as Charlotte Church who's still my idol and I had like a dog collar and like a bottle of vodka and there's this guy who lived above me in halls who turned up as Psy the Korean Gangnam Style Mm -hmm. rapper Oh no! and he yellowed up He put like mascara on his eyes. He did, he fully went for it. And he like turned up at the student union bar, and it was like, boom, everybody jumped on him. They were like, this is offensive. This is horrific. Like, who do you think you are? And I remember at the time being like, what's the big deal, guys? (laughs) Come on. Like, because in my head, I was like, David Walliams uh, from Little Britain when that show was on the air, which was less than 10 years ago, he'd black up, he'd yellow up, he'd be ting-tong, he'd be whatever. Like, it was all the stereotypes. And I was like, if somebody can do that on mainstream television, if it was wrong, surely like Offcom. Mm or like the BBC, or like the culture department for like the government. Somebody would stop that if it was wrong, but mm-hmm. like nobody did. So it totally legitimizes it to however the millions of people that that watch that and consume mm. that. And so when I like went to uni and I was in London, I was like, wow, I can totally now see why that is horrifically offensive to people mm. and why people don't want to be mimicked and mocked mm. in that way. But at the time I was like, it's just charlie from tunbridge wells he doesn't know any different ironically he's just got it's always fucking tunbridge wells Wells. ironically he's just got engaged to the most beautiful nigerian girl (laughs) and i'm really happy for him because people were really like you're a racist and and what (laughs) he did was racist but he didn't know he was as clueless as i was i totally could have turned up on that night as bob marley like, I could not. Um But I didn't. And thank God I didn't. Because but there's
0: a point to it. Like, I went home to, like, the village town I grew up in. Hmm. We went to the local tiny little kiosk, a little corner shop. And they had some sweets, which were called the N-word.
1: <gasps> really? Yeah,
0: and I went there with my sister. And she just went, <laughs> <coughs> she was like, um, oh, I just thought, I thought it said that. And I, and I looked, I was like. Does? it does
1: oh my god and I was
0: like this is well, oh my god but that, that would be the same mm. like oh well if they have it on sweets. if you they have, have it, it on stole, sweets, it
1: well it how could it be wrong oh it's like god. when you rock up on the Isle of Wight the first if you go ever go to the Isle of Wight and you get off the ferry the first town you hit is cows and every single shop has got like a gollywog in the window and it's really like and it's is. called the Isle of Wight <laughs> like I don't
0: know what a
1: gollywog is a gollywog is basically a Sort of doll that was like mimicking minstrels. And google it. It's, I'll google it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, 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 it's not cool nowadays. Okay, okay. basically, I, think I, I, think I,
0: get I can't. I'm,
1: I'm not sure. I really want to explain what a okay. is in okay. your podcast. People will google it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very safe. But it's just like it's it's an interesting thing because university for me was really about educating myself about all those things because. Literally, nobody in my family had ever been. I didn't know what uni was. Mm. I got in purely because I managed to get this scholarship. That meant that I didn't have to pay for my fees. And I was like, sod it. Let's do it. Let's get out of the grief home. Let's become an individual. Let's have an identity other than being the boy whose dad died, which is very much the identity I had at school. And so me and Ollie had this sort of blossoming friendship And then at times it became really hard because he was so sort of struggling and would be very erratic and would really like, he'd just start on you sometimes. He'd be like, you're a fucking arrogant prick. And I'd be like, babe, we're in Wagamama. It's like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And he would just flip. And he had this sort of really temperamental, um, explosive personality. And, it was difficult and sometimes i used to find myself edging away from him especially if i felt like i was happy Mm. and he wasn't and he'd text me like where are you what you doing and I, i just ignore it and i think you know when you're growing up and you're like 19 20 21 it's such a difficult time to try and embrace this concept of the ladder which i think is something that we put on human beings something that we put on young guys to climb this ladder and collect the sort of rankings of what it is to be a man so it's Mm -hmm. like get your a-levels go to university get on a good grad scheme get a job get a wife get a girlfriend get a house get a mortgage digger digger digga. success is purely measured by an upward um barometer shall we say and actually like for me and ollie that ladder was never going to fucking work and it was never going to be something that Um, sustained itself or made us happy or made us successful or made us feel anything other than different actually and i think it's interesting how we measure human being success nowadays in the same way that we would measure a corporation's growth and people kind of forget that actually having a wobbly line is a really good thing and we measure everything by like floor to ceiling instead of like how you push walls out of your mm. own life i know that sounds like i'm being really really kind of hippie but no
0: but like I, I saw my therapist the other day and she and i we talked a bit about happiness and i said oh yeah, yeah no i'm I'm happy and she said oh no you're sad too as well right yeah and you need to also be sad because exactly. that's a human being mm. you need to allow yourself to be sad and and bad yeah. you need to allow the bad sides into your life as well and the failures you can't just Like the ideal life isn't just, oh, you're happy and content all the time and everything's going really well all the time because that's not how life works.
1: No, exactly. The two can really well coexist as well. Mm. If you think about laughter, laughter and crying are exactly the same thing. They're exactly the same emotions. They have almost the exact same bodily functions. Like When I laugh and I cry, it sometimes sounds the exact same. When I cry, it sounds like Jimmy Carr's laugh it's like uh, 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 uh. I mean like if that that says a lot <laughs> like I mean that says everything no <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder if when Jimmy Carr cries it sounds like you laughing <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't because I I really hope so I really, <laughs> hope, really <laughs> hope so <laughs> but it's
0: like there was um oh, who was I don't know who said that but someone pointed out that a thing that can really make a lot of people upset is the thought, is like when they're being told that Hitler was good towards animals, because they kind of go like, n- n- no, 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 he's a bad man. Like, like you can't have the duality. You, can't be, you some, can't be, at some point you're a good person, sometimes you're a bad person, sometimes yeah. you're sad. Like, was you're like either or.
1: Fred Phelps, the guy who started up the Westboro Baptist Church, who's like, oh. God hates fags, was like an incredible civil rights activist apparently. Oh shit. <laughs> and was like really for like, black people in the workplace and equal rights equal pay and oh. then like in his latter years would stand outside churches like god
0: hates gays oh my god so
1: it's it's interesting because people have good and bad sides yeah this is it this is what i think nowadays is the scariest thing about culture is that we are so frightened of somebody having a uh, a muddy part to their personality mm. or a problematic part mm. we're all problematic like my idol and I'm probably like quoting her without even realising is MIA she's like Was a, that the a bang, Sri Lankan bang, rapper bang bang bang, 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 yeah, that bang that take your money blah, blah 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 and she says things that are very dubious at times she's very much like kind of gets pulled through the wringer of like the white media they really paint her out as like the brown girl villain and mm. they love doing it they love misquoting her mm. they love like chipping and chopping and changing lines so it sounds like she's being more of a dickhead than she is i'm not saying that at times she doesn't do things that aren't dickheady, but mm. like welcome to being a human being like sometimes we are really complex and we're good and we're bad and we think good things and we think bad things there's no point but of there's present- also
0: a thing about like yelling at other people for being problematic instead of going if you do that you have to also be very aware of your own problem I, I yeah do, i do think you, you should and can call people out and say oh completely oh, you completely. might not know this but you shouldn't have those sweets in your shop yeah <laughs> but you also need to be able to go
1: well i do you know what it's like yeah yeah where were we I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh, you
0: you were answering sorry. Uh, what the documentary that they're filming was. Oh, yeah, what well, the
1: documentary. Uh, 20, so, so 20 yeah. Minutes ago, oh my god, yeah, that is so. Sorry. I'm really. Oh, my God. I've been really loving no, 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 it. Um, we're getting your life stories. We're fine. getting, I have a getting lot of ma- questions
0: for it when you're finished. It's literally
1: like Piers Morgan's real life stories, except you're not a cunt. It's
0: great. It's
1: so good. I you, feel like I'll be Cheryl Cole and I'll pull out that I had malaria once and I'll start crying about it. <laughs>
0: I uh, I interrupted you when you talked about uh, Oh, I started talking about the ladder. Ladder.
1: The ladder. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, basically, that for me is the model of why I want to make this BBC3 documentary. Because the ladder doesn't work anymore. And the way that we still... Put, I think we've realized that the ladder doesn't work. But the way that we're dealing with it, and we're talking about male mental health, and we're talking about tackling that, I still don't think it goes far enough to, like... Solving the problem. So, okay, let me just think a second because I'm also like burping up like air. <laughs> I'm like burping nothing right now. You should have said
0: that. It sounds like you're about to cry and that like, like, people will be really tense. And now you're just like, oh no. I just no it's ate just a chicken. burp. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Hmm.
0: about solving the problem that's also quite yeah. a big question to
1: answer so well exactly so so the thing is is from being um an ambassador for calm for the last sort of five years and from being just i suppose male and seeing how the male mental health uh, crisis has been played out in the media about young men we never get further than talking about talking Mm. we never really get further than conversations about having conversations and i totally get that talking is a really important thing for sort of breaking down the taboo and fighting the stigma of it but we've essentially had five six years of mental health coverage where the fixation is all on talking and actually not on the sort of concrete reasonings behind why so many men are literally eradicating themselves and why they're just wiping themselves off. And and I think it's because we have an infrastructure, especially in this country, that is not is still not set up to properly tackle or properly support or even sort of like rehabilitate men that have had sort of depressive episodes and have attempted suicide and i'm saying that like obviously obviously the system is the same for women too but the kind of way that i feel is that there's been such a focus on talking that we have forgotten the fact that like actually what we need is to cut down these waiting time lists like we really like there is no point of encouraging men to open up and talk about their problems and f- seek help if they're then going to pluck up all that courage and that bravery and then get to their doctor surgery and they're going to be like hi yeah you've got to wait 24 weeks can you just hold that bravery for a second Can you just put that on hold please because actually we're going to need 24 weeks because that's the next time we can actually spend. like that's what needs to be solved that's what needs to be talked about that's what needs to make people want to do Three-minute campaign videos. Like I'm, this is going to sound so horrible. What I'm about to say, but I'm so bored of hearing about people being like, "Guys, we need to start talking. We need to start opening up." Because I'm like, "Yes, I got that. I got that ages ago." Actually, what we need to start doing is lobbying a government that we have that doesn't still put mental health on the top of their prime agenda. That is, and it and it is still getting sort of decreasingly worse and it it makes me really angry talking about it because i'm like actually what we need to do is everyone needs to just fucking stand outside parliament and fucking grab a torch and just shine it in the people's faces that aren't fucking doing anything about it because it doesn't matter how many comment is free articles there are it doesn't matter how many little viral video clips we have the fact is that the infrastructure and the system is not there to save men in a time of crisis there are people in this country that are having horrific depressive episodes psychotic episodes feeling like they want to kill themselves and they're like hmm yeah we can get a crisis team to you in about six hours like it's not good enough and and it doesn't have to be that way we could have an infrastructure that allows for mental health to take a really prominent part of our healthcare system in such a way that it is seen in the same light as cancer or heart attacks or those things that just snatch people away really quickly and i'm i'm a bit bemused as to why we're still focusing on talking when the statistics aren't getting any better so it's like for me in the last five years of working at calm there hasn't been any radical change in the actual statistical um facts of male suicide if anything all that's happened is that the age limit is actually increased slightly more men are killing themselves now which like is just like great actually like all of the media has just focused on the talking campaign side of it which is why calm thankfully is now like a really well-known really established charity which it wasn't five years ago Like, when I first started working there, it was an office of four women in Southwark, and it smelled like shit. (laughs) Like, it really smelled like shit. Like, the pooiest shit you've ever smelled. And now it's grown and grown and grown, and they've had amazing support because so many people are affected by it now. So many people are losing nephews and sons and boyfriends and young men that have so much potential to it. And I think the reason why... (laughs) kind of so angry about it is because like Ollie ended up taking his life last year. Um, and it was just like, if I, as somebody who is an ambassador for a male suicide prevention charity can be friends with someone that still knows all the facts that has someone to talk to that has all of those things. If they still don't want to be here, then it's not, hmm, it's not um it's not enough for somebody like me to feel that burden. It needs to go on the government and it needs to go on the people that are actually in charge of creating a mental health infrastructure that works for people.
0: Have you known that all the time? Like have you felt this way since it happened or were you blaming yourself in the beginning?
1: At the beginning I think like I was just really quite shocked. But also more shocked because I wasn't that shocked. Because in the back of my head, I think when you have a friend that suffers really badly with depression, you envisage or you hear that phone call. Mm. So like, it was more like, oh, wow, it's actually happened. And um, And then I felt really bad because I hadn't spoken to him for about five months. And I spoke to him, the week before he did it, and we had like a three-hour-long phone conversation, mainly about how we both can't work, op, like operate radiators. and <laughs> We really <laughs> fucked them up all the time, <laughs> and we made all these plans, and I booked a train to go and see him, and, mm. and um, and 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 so it's a weird one because I finally managed to speak to him, and I feel like now I look back on that phone call and I'm like, how dare you make that a goodbye phone call? Like how? Day, Ollie. <laughs> but that was it. And, you know, he took his own life the week after. And I definitely felt for a really long time like a bit of a failure. Like, if life was LinkedIn, <laughs> my sort of like ambassador for male suicide prevention charity role <laughs> would like, <laughs> I'd have taken like a little bit of a hit. I don't think people would be endorsing the fact that I've slightly let one slip through the gap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it makes sense but i think blaming oneself is and that's why i'm asking because you asked I, I i just really want to make sure that your anger isn't covering up the fact that you actually somehow feel responsible that it happened the other way that you maybe felt like oh yeah went through the blaming phase and then you went and okay then went, enough with that it's enough not with my that fault.
1: it's not my fault yeah definitely i think for the first six months i ironically at the time was working on a show all about my Mm. dad dying and all about grief so i was in the midst of it and it was so weird to suddenly have another type of bereavement another type of death so i blocked it out of my head for six months Mm. he died in march took my show to edinburgh in august like the show did really well good grief it went so much better than I think anybody had ever predicted. And it got to a point, I I kind of had forgotten that Ollie had died. I remember actually remembering that Ollie had died the same day, this sounds like such a humble brag, but the same day that the New York Times came to see me in Edinburgh, Mm. they were doing a feature and it was me in good grief. And it was Bryony Kimmings, who's an amazing theatre maker, and her show, Fake It Till You Make It, which is about her partner's depression and suicide attempt. And I suddenly was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Ollie killed himself. And I'd forgotten. like, And I'm, I'm saying that in that, obviously, I hadn't forgotten because I thought about him every day. But I, I'd sort of wiped it out of my consciousness.
0: Yeah, but I don't think it's been a that was never a conscious choice like that's something your brain does No, it's something does. That your, your brain, brain does to go protect yourself like, yeah. yeah
1: and so yeah so, and then after Good Grief and then got back to London after the Edinburgh run and felt all the guilt and felt really ashamed and felt really like how the hell has this happened on my watch like how mm. and felt really like you know people were I was having meetings with people and they're like oh my god it's such a lovely honest betrayal of grief and loss and bereavement i love the video of you in the disabled toilet at your school and where that you used to cry and how that was the space you used to cry in and i have these meetings with like tv comedy industry people and then like they'd finish and then i'd go and find a disabled toilet and have a cry in it like I was like a total walking hypocrite is what i felt like because i was preaching about grief whilst not dealing with it at all myself but i'm just really conscious that i'm talking this whole podcast about that no
0: that's <laughs> but, I don't know that I mean no.
1: <laughs> but it, it's a really interesting one for me because yeah I had all that anger at myself and then I was like no this isn't my fault this is a bigger thing but that's and then, really
0: strong can I just really point out how strong that? Oh, how good or how important that is because I don't think a lot of people know how to do that Mm. We, uh, not just in that particular situation, which is quite specific, but I do think in most situations people will blame themselves, and then that's where it ends. Yeah, because it's very hard for someone.
1: And then they suppress that blame, and they just live with it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I they don't... always think that's why that scene. And I'm so sorry to <laughs> to make this such a pop, stupid pop culture reference. <laughs> yeah. That scene in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, with Robin Williams. And I haven't seen
1: it. that film. <gasps> I'm so bad. No. I know. Hit me. Hit me. Ow. Sorry. Um,
0: There's such a good scene where uh, Robin Matt Damon is really a really tough guy, and I'm butchering the whole thing, but he's like a tough guy, and he, his dad left, I think. And then Robin Williams goes, "It's not your fault," and he goes, "I know." know oh my god!
1: But I know about this cultural scene, reference right? because this is in Uncle, the Nick Helm document, the Nick Helm sitcom oh, really? on BBC Three, where where basically the sister like to any time something goes wrong, she's like, "It's not your fault." <laughs> It's not your fault, and they're like, "Stop it! It's not your fault, there. It's not your fault." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's is It's so that.
0: powerful, and it worked. I, yeah, I've, and this is a really not the best thing in the whole world, but I had a friend who went through a really tough time, it's a very weird situation. I guess it's too weird. Um, she, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'll tell you the details of of her, uh, <laughs> yeah. but um, and she felt a lot of blame for something that wasn't her fault. And I didn't know what to do because I don't know how to deal with emotions in general. And she was crying and I don't know how to deal with crying. And I, yeah. and I just said to myself, I really hope she hasn't seen this movie. And then I went, it's not your fault. <laughs> it, and it worked. It really yeah. worked. And I was like, oh my God, she can never watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> she will know that this You've very like, horrible moment in her life will just be me quoting Robin oh, it's Williams. It's not, her not her your fault. It's not your fault. Well, she shouldn't have said it in an American accent.
1: I mean, yeah. I, I think once I realized that, and now I adopt that. Actually, that would be a bit hypocritical to say. Well, legs, like oh, does it? Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. My, grandma my director just told me that because I'm shaking my knees. It sounds like I'm having a wank.
0: Yeah, I quite like that. I quite, I quite like, like that. that
1: I'm going to stop though because because I, I think there's nothing like there's nothing horrible as a sort of wank fap noise. Right. <laughs> It's just, like <laughs> 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 just Sophie that. Sophie does it with her cheeks. So <laughs> We're going to well. each do
0: a thing to make sure none of this can go on with um, you. But can I ask you a question? Yes. So you uh, since your father passed, so you've done shows about that grief and then you've gone straight on to do you're doing this documentary, you're being uh, an ambassador for calm. Uh, uh, and now you're doing a new show uh, again about it seems like a lot of your time and energy and, and focus is on all your great work, like all this work you do and all this mm. activism and you're uh, like talking about it and, and all of these things. Do you also, have you also taken the time to just deal with you? Or is this your way of dealing with it? Or do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Well, back in November, I, the, f- the, the very first shoot that we did for this documentary... I basically had like a massive breakdown and I was like, I have spoken exclusively about grief, suicide and depression for the last two years. It's become my career. I am technically, this sounds gross, but like technically that's my livelihood. I'm earning money from it. It's become my job. It's become my identity. It's become what people say to me for the first time. I went on a date and the person that I went on a date with fucking stupidly googled me and spent the whole day talking to me about their depression and Mm -hmm. i was like you know what, i've got time for this but at the same time like are we gonna fuck or no no i wasn't that bad (laughs) but like and so yeah completely completely become part of my identity and and that's something that after 2017 i am gonna 2018 i'm gonna go bridget christie style and do a show about being like an ant or something like i'm so ready to do something not related to grief well do you you have
0: time in your what about in your life, life? You know, like when, you, like when you go, <clears throat> when you go to sleep and you're alone in your bed. I'm just assuming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> always, assuming always, always a alone, alone a in my bed. Old bed
0: uh, do you, when a thought comes into your head, like what every, all the stuff that's happened in your life, all the sad stuff? Do you then? Do, does your brain go straight to? I can use that in a show. I should mention that in the documentary. No. Or do you, do you deal with it yourself as
1: well? I'm really conscious as well because I really feel like other people think something traumatic happens to him and he just must think, I'll put it in a show. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't. It, I really have actively tried to not make a piece of work about suicide or death or grief again everybody told me not to after good grief they're like mm. your next show's gotta be about something completely different make it about being gay make it about being fat make it about being curly haired make it about being from Watford like everyone was like don't do it and and then I was like do you know what I'm gonna do it one more time and it's a follow-up to good grief this new show mm. it's called happy hour and it's the what basically um, my letter in response to Ollie's suicide and that's it for like 55 minutes and 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 it's got like oh you're pointing your finger at me No, I'm
0: just I'm just marking I'm marking <laughs> I need to say something
1: yeah um and, and and basically the reason why I'm doing it is because I feel like I want to do it now because it links so much to my last show and I know it's like oh who cares it's just art but it's like for me if I don't do it now, then I'll never do it. Oh, so no, I
0: mean, all that is bullshit. Like, that's bullshit. Like, of course, you can You can do whatever. You can talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, you yeah. 15 shows about but depression. But basically what I'm you saying is have that... You don't justify that. F- sort of. What I meant, because n- I don't want you to ever think that I was insinuating that. Yeah. Because fucking do whatever you want oh, forever. Yeah. But what I was saying was, for you, I wasn't saying, do you think, oh, we can put that in a show. But I know the feeling of something bad happening or... A bad feeling coming up or, you know, I saw my therapist and we talked about some stuff and my first instinct is to go, "Ah, I should put that somewhere. Not because Mm. I want to do a show, but just because that moves it away from me feeling it. Because then I don't have to feel it. Then it becomes a project Then it becomes work. Then it becomes something else. Where
1: and you detach yourself from it, yeah. You detach because yourself. you objectively shape something. You can, it, yeah, something
0: and you on can it. stand on stage in front of people and go, oh, "Look at that! Look at that feeling! <laughs> I mm. felt that, and you've never felt it." So that's what I mean. Is yeah. if you do give yourself time to be yourself, apart from career and shows and all of that, to deal with it on your mm. own, and so like do you get through it or over it, or I don't know what you like, pass it through your body, and then you do something about it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think so I I mean I think that's what I've done in that I didn't do a show in 2016 so I took the year off essentially because I had to Mm. deal with Ollie Mm. and for me when dad died the thing that got me through it was humor the thing that got me through it was comedy I think writing Good Grief was like a bit of a test it was like if I can make this funny And also I wrote Good Grief with my nan. So my nan's in my show throughout. So it's really about her talking about losing a son and me talking about losing a parent. It's the two combined together that I think make the show different to sort of all the other dead dad shows out there. And I was like, if I can make this funny, and if I can make people laugh, and if I can make people who are audience members that have been through grief... Completely empathize, but not sympathize because I don't want people to come in and be like, Oh, God, this is tragic. I want people to come in and be like, Wow, this is a way of dealing with grief that can leave you feeling like you can take on everything else that life throws at you. And so, a part of me is sort of doing this next show, not even for sort of like not having any other ideas. And I know that's not what you were saying, Mm. but because I'm like, if I can make that funny, or if I can make that relatable or translatable on stage, then that's something that didn't exist before. I've never watched anything in a live capacity that deals with suicide in a way that doesn't make me literally either roll my eyes or want to die myself (laughs) like like (laughs) that sounds really overdramatic. but apart from fleabag actually if anybody saw fleabag the tv series that dealt with with the loss of a friend in a really beautiful way obviously it's sort of fictional and it's dramatized but i thought that was a really lovely depiction but that's it for me it's like so many people are going through being bereaved by suicide now, mm. but there is absolutely no coverage or documentation of that experience and that narrative that is played out in a way that is accessible to people. So like, I feel like suicide its like you can make a sculpture about it, you can draw a picture about it, you can write a poem about it, but you can't write a joke about it. Mm. like there's still that line and actually Joan Rivers who uh is also like MIA a bit of a problematic fave she had this joke in one of her shows where she talks about her husband's suicide she talks about going to Beverly Hills with her daughter like three weeks after it happened and they hadn't really spoken to each other her daughter picked up the call from the hotel saying that we found your dad dead she was only like 16 And they go to this restaurant in Beverly Hills and it's really expensive and they sit down and they get the menu out. And Joan Rivers looks at the menu and she's like, if your father could see the prices in here, he'd kill himself all over again. (laughs) And like the way she says it, I'm not doing her justice, is amazing. Like it's so funny and it's so beautiful. And apparently it was like what saved her and her daughter's life. Like they started laughing, they started talking, they opened up at that dinner. And I just thought that is it for me if you can turn something that horrific into something joyous, then tick. And I'm not just saying that for like me ticking myself, but for anyone, like it's not a case of, you know, Stuart Lee's sad comedy skit where he talks about like, Oh, everyone in comedy is waiting for a trauma to happen so they can like talk about it and get critics in or whatever. Like that's not me because the critics aren't all coming into my show, but it is about turning something that is tr- tragedy into happiness. And that's sort of what is called about this documentary series and is what's called about this new show. And it's kind of what's called about how I feel right now is that actually feel like I can be sad and have Ollie's grief ticking away in the background and I can think about him sometimes once a day or I can think about him like 70 times a day And I can still be happy. And I can still have a life and a career. And feel like I'm not always going to be the boy whose dad died at 15. So, yeah. I'd say, right now, I feel quite happy. But that could all change. (laughs) But it could all change
0: Yeah I was gonna say like, don't, don't You sound deluded
1: But right next topic Body image So um, No but the thing is What's really cool about you Sophie Is that you're beauty and brains And that's rare That is R-A-R-E Why are you I mean Yeah
0: What, what happened?
1: Male abandonment oh.
0: <laughs> well, I just needed an explanation. I just—it was need- <laughs> that problematic. Well, it happened?
1: abandonment. <laughs> um, but no, but no. No, I just. I uh, now I feel like I, for some reason I'm really compelled to be like Sophie. How are you? <laughs> I have just very self indulgently spoken about myself, but that's, no, the, that's point the, the point, podcast, that's the point yeah. of the podcast, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's the point of everything. I
1: always get really conscious when I've just realized is, that I've I just realise I've rabbitted on.
0: You've not spoken that much about yourself. You've spoken yourself, but you've Mm. not spoken so much about yourself. You've, a lot of, um, like, the questions or the topics you've... Not derailed, because that sounds aggressive, but you've kind of made it about, like, a greater thing and, like, a tendency and a cultural thing and a political thing. You've Mm. not said that much about yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Jack. I'm 22. I'm a Leo. I really enjoy the music of Sri Lankan rapper M.I.A. And um, talking about myself in the third person do you know
0: what i mean though
1: yeah i'm not sure right now i think for me the things that jack is struggling with is the fact that i feel quite uncomfortable in my own skin at times like i'm not very happy right now and this is something that i think as friends you and me have spoken about i'm not very happy right now with like and this has never really been a no actually it's always been a thing but it's really coming to fruition i think maybe because i'm like five years into being what i like to call a semi-professional homosexual and i'm like what does that mean? it basically means that i on on sort of like monday to thursday i'm an asexual librarian friday saturday and sunday i'm like donde esta la <laughs> you know and uh Wouldn't no, no that's, oh God, that makes me sound, yeah, it probably would be elcock yeah. It makes you sound really sexually aggressive. Years, so uh. like,
0: <laughs> I just don't want it to be any kind of uh, <laughs> language barrier. mistakes. On <laughs> no. That was El That was elcock
1: by Jack Rook. <laughs> Next up, it's, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, and I think it's really interesting because, I mean, I am in a weird place right now where I don't feel necessarily happy with w- how I look. And that, I think, is maybe why I, I'm not enjoying having a camera on me at all times. Mm. So actually, I love having a camera on me in terms of making a piece of work and working with Graham, his director, and Billy, and they're a really nice team. But sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, like, I can't see any of the shots. Mm. Graham sent me a photo of one of the screenshots of me in a Scottish lock attempting to cold water swim and I was like, oh my God, I look so disgusting. I can't believe this is going to go out on the TV. It's pranging me out a bit. But the thing is, is I think that the team that I'm working on the documentary with know that. So the next few things that we've got to do are very exposing in a way that I hope will make me feel different about my body. I mean, Graham, can I say what we're doing next? Yeah. So basically, I'm going to be the subject of a life drawing session. Oh. I'm going to get naked.
0: That's terrifying. It's
1: really terrifying. <clears throat> Can I because, say something? Like, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm extremely like, body positive and I try to do a lot within the, the whatever movement or whatever. Body positivity and stuff. And then I went to see a musical last night and it was a very lovely, inclusive... Musical. There was mm. like uh, older people and people from uh, uh, like no white people, just uh, Latino people and uh, and people of color, and when um, no one was fat, uh, like they all had their stomachs bare. And after two hours watching that, I felt horrible. I mm. really felt bad, and I was like, I don't usually feel bad. Like I yeah. at the same time, I just got a I got a photo sent that was um. Uh, my 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 friend's art project where she took a photo of me I we not wearing that much clothes and i loved it and i was like oh yeah i'm so hot and, I, and then you watch two hours of
1: like <laughs> of really hot people of
0: really well, of, well like, naked objective, thin objective. people yeah and i just felt awful i was like whoa
1: the thing is that
0: is a massive th- it's so yeah. hard this is like intense five year every single day i've just been looking at Beautiful uh, fat women. I've read p- fat positive statements. I've been saying these things out loud. I do all the stuff, and then two hours, and I go, maybe I should start eating a lot of vegetables and working out. Yeah, that's sick.
1: It is. It's. It's so bizarre because I feel very much the same as you. For the last five years, I've been like, it. It. it doesn't matter. Oh no! I, oh god, because I don't want it to sound like I don't think that now. Okay, it's a oh. Then it's a bit everything that I'm saying is going to sound like I'm I'm making wild overgeneralizations, but Mm. I would also agree that I think I'm quite body positive, and that people should literally embrace every size possible because also you don't even know what size is sexy yet. Mm. Nobody knows until they're like dead. (laughs) Like Mm. every size is sexy, Mm. but, and I, this is muddy water. But I, I think it's a gay thing because the way that gay culture is shaped and defined is very prominently um boiled down to image in a very positive way at times it's a, so so, yeah, so basically you, you can I, be I
0: wanna say something but i that might sound wrong oh no just well. say it because if
1: we're wrong then we're both wrong and if people are listening and we're wrong then just cause I would troll also, us
0: because I would also say it's a woman thing <laughs> and like the one thing that
1: yeah okay hom- yeah
0: homosexuality and and women having come, you know what I mean is like, that coverage it's and representation not a heterosexual man because they can look however they want yeah do you know what I mean yeah it could be like if you're oh, I don't know
1: it's a weird one because obviously like you know, Ollie as well, I know, used to feel it as well with body image when he'd look, look at like, the front cover of Men's Tough. So It's there for everyone. But it's just like in the gay like, world, though. Yeah, like, if you, you look at gay magazines, the only time you're ever going to see somebody clothed is when it's a woman. And the <laughs> only time I saw anybody fucking clothed on the front cover of GT, Gay Times magazine, was when it was like Edina and Patsy from Ab Fab doing, like, the summer special. That's it. So it's like, and I really love gay times. I think they're cool, but I'm like, if your immediate access point is going to be naked, attractive male, then that fucks other mm. people up. Like, yeah. That really makes me feel very inadequate. And mm. it's interesting because I think the the gay world has changed a lot in terms of what it can perceive as being attractive. So, like, you can be a bigger guy. You can be, like, there's all these sort of, like, gay bear. tribes. You can be, like, a bear or whatever. But if you're going to be a bigger guy and you're going to have a belly, then you need to have a beard. So if you don't have a beard, then it's kind of redundant. And if you're going to be this, you can be you can be old. But if you're old, then you've got to be, like, wearing, like, a lumberback shirt and you've got to chop wood in a forest. <laughs> like, it's like, and I know that I'm sounding like I'm making it up, but all these things are very subtle and they're very mm. um, underlyingly underpinned in terms of gay culture that ever gets to reach ever slightly the mainstream and it's like it never really affected me because i've thought oh this is all bullshit this is all bullshit and then i think maybe we've chatted about this personally but like i was on a panel a few weeks back on the south bank center for the being a man festival we were talking about something and I mentioned on one of these like round-up panels for the end of the festival, I mentioned in passing being gay. And then this guy, at the very end, got asked, like, we did we did like, a and a thing? And he basically just sort of like, was like, hi there. Yep, yeah, I've really enjoyed the festival, but what I want to know is, and then looked at me, he was like, why there's there so many gay people speaking? 98% of men are straight, only 2% of the world are gay. Why do we constantly need to hear of like from gay people? Why the South Bank Centre normalising like homosexuality as if like lots more people actually are? And it's this really like very weird thing, where this guy's obviously got oh, a very warped view yeah. of homosexuals. The whole thing happened, I sort of diffused it, spoke to him sort of like human to human and was like the reason i'm on this panel is not because i'm gay it's because of so many other things and if you're intimidated by that then Mm -hmm. that's really sad for you i think you should just join in and be happy that we live in london and we're all like getting on with each other but then it made me think all of a sudden i was like wow for some people my identity even though for me it feels you know as a human being more dictated by grief and by being working class if I'm honest, that that feels more prominent in my views. For other people, I'm just gay. Like, mm. I would just be a gay man. That's their only access point to me as an individual. And so I started thinking, okay, well, what does that mean? And I think in the last sort of six weeks, I've really, really kind of researched it and looked at it. And for the first three weeks, I was like, fuck, I'm the worst gay man ever because i don't have these sort of visual body positives if that makes sense i don't have i don't tick Live the boxes the like thing. someone like me is never going to be topless on the front cover of gay times magazine mm. and it's like hmm like when would that ever happen would it take somebody my size getting to like james Corden level fame Mm. for somebody to be able to be like you can take your t-shirt off but then in order to do that you have to be funny so it's like to legitimize being bigger and being fat do you have to be funny in order for us to to accept it because that's another really interesting thing is that like i feel like being fat and being a comedian a lot of other people think that those two things are mm. really interlinked. Mm. There's definitely a really interesting thing about how being bigger somehow means that maybe you are funnier because you've had to use comedy to get out of awkward situations.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, for me, it was a lot of. Well, it was obvious, like the whole bullying thing, but it was also being asexual to people. Yeah, so I would quickly become one of the guys because you know mm. no one fancied me. Because you know they wouldn't, so it was me being like a friend, friend. So they would like make all the jokes to to me, and then I would make jokes back, and then they would go and (laughs) and be (laughs) loved by my friends.
1: Yeah, but then you won the Edinburgh Comedy Newcomer Award. I've I've
0: won life. I would would, would fucking rather have been that. I mean, if you had had a choice, (coughs) if you had a choice, I would rather have. You know, I wouldn't change a thing because at least yeah,
1: and also you're absolutely beautiful, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm not even saying like let's not even say right in a high pitch like right. right. No right. Right. So it's a it's an <laughs> that interesting one.
0: Sarcastic though. Right.
1: Right. right. Na-
0: <laughs> no, but, that, but we can say that to each other as much as we want. Like yeah, you, but and, you and know and that's it's natural, about feeling it. But yeah, and it's about that's still a fact. You know there's maybe a team of a maximum of like ten people choosing that guy who's on the front cover of Gay Times, and there's a big chance that seven of them don't necessarily find that guy attractive, but they think that's what's hot and yeah. people look at him and think, Oh, I guess that's what's hot. But that doesn't mean that that's what they think is hot. They just, they think that's the objective. Yeah. It's the same guy on all the front covers, the same woman on all the front covers. Yeah. And then everyone just looks at that and go, Oh, I guess that's, I guess that's what's hot. That's hard. it. I guess that's like you. Um, but
1: friend, it's weird. Cause it's like, I never noticed it before. Oh, never, never. It's only recently that I've started feeling this body consciousness and feeling like you're really fucking ugly. It's a weird one because I feel quite confident as a person. Mm. But like the idea of having to take my t-shirt off in front of someone still petrifies me. I had to mm. do it the other day for filming. And I was like, oh my God, people can see my boobs people can see my stretch marks people can see everything and i was like oh this makes me feel sick
0: but would you feel that way if you
1: but if i saw some if i saw another guy exactly like me i'd be like great like i wouldn't care
0: yeah does it help a little bit knowing that i mean i i'm in the sex same situation i know exactly what you mean
1: I, i i like i really would love to be able to sound like that sort of inspiring i love my body type person but i'm right now i'm just not i hope one day i will be
0: but you will be i mean you will be it's
1: right now i'm like
0: but it's also cut your
1: hair short at the sides a bit long on top lose some weight and wear all saints <laughs> i want to be everything that i'm like Ugh. but i think it's just like but i know that, that no because that sounds like really bad it's just like for me i'm like the way that i am right now isn't working but maybe it is, I don't know. What
0: do you mean, working like hell?
1: Like, I just don't feel very sort of comfortable with the size I am. And I'm not even saying that, like, I'm not trying to be like... No, no, what do you mean? Oh, my God, I'm...
0: Oh, I know yeah, You know, I know exactly, exactly what I mean we, it's all, so... we all know exactly what you mean and, yeah. not, and we know that it's not the ideal mind space to be in But that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to feel that way Because we all feel that, like that We yeah. all felt like that And sometimes we all feel like that And it, you, you can be as body positive as you want You can love yourself so much And then like
1: One day It takes
0: like five minutes for someone to text you back And you go Oh I'm, I'm back I am, <laughs> I am back And then you eat a carrot and you go Oh no wait <laughs> No 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 I'm, I'm fine again but, um, not as in, now I've eaten the carrot, now I'm fine, but like, oh, this tastes <laughs> awful, I'd rather have pizza. Oh, I'm back. Yeah. But, I, I wonder if you can use what you... And I'm not a therapist, but the, what you did with This is with therapy, grief, I love it. What you, what you did with grief, where you turned it around and turned it into anger, and then you turned it into a campaign thing, you turned it into politics, and you turned it into, oh, this is not my fault, this is them, this, they're the fucking cunts Yeah. Who, who make who've created this system where we hate ourselves so that we will buy their all saints and, uh, and, and buy we'll their bits in the fitness world whatever and Fitbits. exactly like yeah. if you can if you and that's a long process and it's very easy to say but I, that, that's I know that's what helps me whenever I feel really bad about myself and like when I watched that musical yesterday and I started hating myself I turned it around and I thought what can I do to somehow talk to people who do musicals or like make sure it's a thing try and make it a thing that like, we mm. all talk about how few fat people there are in musicals yeah and then like in my ideal world i somehow i try and find a way to get them to cast a fat eponine or a fat mm. angelica Skyline. yeah and then that's gonna change it
1: you gotta be the change you want to see
0: and then you make it but it's about also about turning you in that's the selfish thing as well because it's all about making my inner feelings not be about me because you go wait I'm not there's nothing fair in that I'm sitting here feeling this bad because to me it's very consciously there are so many other women in the audience people Mm. who are going to watch that and go and then subconsciously feel not as good yeah and that's not okay but they don't know how to turn it around but we do because we're fucking intelligent We know how to turn this around and make it into, oh, they're all fucked. You already know how fucked they are when it comes to mental health and all these other things. It's the same thing. It's the same system that controls...
1: But it's not about... We're not... Like, I'm not intelligent.
0: You're intelligent. No, I think
1: I'm just emotively wise, is how I would say.
0: Okay, well, same. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, because I think that's it. It's all about people having that, I suppose, emotional... Connection to other people to be like, hey, we can do something about this. But also, and we like can the call it picture, out and we can, yeah. You
0: can see the structures. You can within your head. You can see how it doesn't work. Yeah. you Don't just. You didn't stop after. It's probably my fault. You went. Oh no. Hold on. Oh no. Yeah. And that's that's what most true. Can't do. And you can do the same thing with the body, but it's so difficult because if you are not one hundred percent convinced yourself it's scary like it's scary yeah. being a fat person saying it's okay to be fat because everyone can say yeah you'd say that wouldn't you, you know? yeah it's much it's you like
1: know. you can totally hear other people's
0: mm. oh, kind you know, of exact, like because it's your inner, th- your inner yeah. voice is saying those things yeah you go, and oh, it's actually it's exactly. not real yeah. And exactly What you're thinking? And exactly What you're going to say? And sometimes you are right.
1: This is free therapy, Sophie. Thank you so oh, much.
0: You, no, I'm going to invite you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know that.
1: <laughs> I'll get know. BBC Three to pay.
0: It's just because I know you can do that already. So that would I would that would be the way to go. So turn yeah. Around and just turn it into blinding rage. Do
1: you know? I think I think I can. And I think it would be really exciting to do this live drawing class. (gasps) A part of me feels really sick about it and kind of just wants to, like, cry. But another part of me is, like, on this project, I've had to confront a few of my, like, basic human fears. Mm. The first one was walking over a bridge over water. (laughs) I don't walk over bridges over water. Well, I do now because we had to do it for filming. Graham was like, we need to film the other side of the Thames, so we need to walk over this bridge and we need to do it right now. And I was like, okay. And just like walked over this bridge and was like, "Wow, I've just walked over a bridge."
0: I've had the exact same thing, but with like a plank o- from like over water to a boat. Oh, yours is
1: like a literal plank. Mine's like a rubber bridge. No, like a, That's but bra- but yours, yours is the brave. The Mine's just I a know bridge. I feeling.
0: If anyone had said to me, "You're going to walk," I would be like, uh, uh, "Never." Never. But once yeah. you're standing there and you're doing it, and there's like a desert behind you, and there's only that boat, and you have three people going you're slowing everyone like you yeah you to need to just do it then you just do it. Yeah. you just do it yeah you
1: just do it it's, it's great best, isn't it sometimes you have to be pushed to that uh, but, so I, like no,
0: but t- I've taken that so far I do that in every situation I always go <laughs> this is sick I always go in my head and I go if you died if you didn't do this could you do it you, you know like <sighs> yeah, you're carrying a yeah, suitcase yeah, yeah, yeah. like a really heavy suitcase and the part you want to go <laughs> ask someone for help and you go what if my life depended on me getting this suitcase up the stairs? Like women, can, women can lift cars if their babies <laughs> yeah. are underneath them.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So I can, can, I I do can this? whisk I can. this cream with a fork. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can do. I can that do Anything I put my mind to. I can so. do
1: anything. But that, but that's it. It's like we we had to get on a plane, and I don't fly. I Haven't flown since like <laughs> two thousand and nine. Petrifying. It's ruined. It's ruined my life a bit. Yeah. It's meant that I've missed out on friends' holidays, weddings, the like. It's really, actually ruined my well-being. Yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, we need to fly because we need to do it in this time frame. So you need to get on a plane." And I rolled up to Stansted. I was like feeling really panicky. But it turns out I was feeling panicky because I actually had a stomach bug and I was about to unleash the shits uh. on a need jet flight. But we've all been there. Yeah, but then actually, the plane took off and I was like, "Wow." this is cool yeah. oh my god look at the clouds oh my god wow i can see and i loved it and i've already booked another another pl- another flight that like it's awesome. great but you have to be pushed to do things and yeah. i think you're right it's a really human thing to to just constantly reject those things and to self-identify yourself as something so i'm mm-hmm. always like i'm the sort of person that doesn't walk over bridges over water <laughs> i'm the sort of person that doesn't fly it's like when people are like, I'm a real warrior," And it's like, no, you're not. Mm. You've just told yourself you're a warrior." Mm. It's what I learned, actually, when I used to work on a show on Radio 1 called The Surgery. I used to be um, a sort of, like, phone operator there, taking calls from lots of young people. It's like a sort of, like, young people's phone in each week on a topic. And it's mm-hmm. hosted by Gemma Kearney, who I know oh, you've already had on, yeah. and Dr. Rada. And something I learned on there was all these kids ringing up, and they'd be like, I'm a... I'm an anxious person or I'm a worrier, or I'm a defeatist or I'm stupid. or I'm. And it's like only you are telling yourself that. And these are all things that we tell ourselves when we're like in our teenage years and they can totally bleed into your 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, 50s, also, whatever.
0: My, my, my psychologist would always do the same. Whenever I said any of those things, she would always go... Oh, okay. Did you like? If I would say, "I'm a, I'm a I ruin everything." That's one of, my, one of my inner thoughts. It's like a voice saying, "Oh, fuck that! You ruin everything." And she would go, uh, "Have you ever? Is there anything you've not ruined?" I was like, oh, "Yeah, well, I guess. I guess it's that that one thing." Oh yeah, are there are other things. Well, I guess, like, I didn't fuck that up. Well, but there was
1: that time I did a show and it won an award. My mind, the most prestigious words in the that, you know, I'm not the kind of person, and she
0: would just go in, like, okay, we'll take it from the beginning. Have you yeah. ever, and then you, you end up going, oh, maybe I'm just focusing on those things, and oh, yeah, maybe I am capable. And
1: I would, <sighs> and this is the thing because I would say that you're not a ruiner at all, you're a get shit done girl.
0: I, it's in terms of relationships, oh, okay, every single time. Oh, yeah, in terms of every relationships, <laughs> I'm leaving, <laughs> she's ruined it no like every single time there's like a breakup or a rejection i go yeah if like it, i when i meet someone and there's like a flirtation thing i will it's almost consciously ruining it like i'm all because i can like looking back at old text i'm like you said what to that person after not so yeah. long because oh, i'm just never gonna, in my head. i go text. oh i'm gonna ruin this anyway so i might as well just do it in a funny way
1: sometimes you think i'm ruining this So let's really ruin
0: it. I'm going to go up. Like you know when you know that you're
1: like slightly falling. Yeah, and then you're like, I am Uh, going to just jump, and (laughs) you're coming with me, and like WhatsApp's going to implode. Like two blue ticks. Yeah, you're going to die.
0: He's going to at least get a story out of this. Yeah,
1: and that's how I write my third show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanna. I usually end on. I think we should do another one oh, yeah. another time. Doing?
1: Oh my god! It's ten past one.
0: Yeah, but I do want to ask you the last question. Yes, which is the one I always ask. Um, because I my theory is
1: B- oh, before you ask on. that, I really feel like I've splurged a lot at you. Means. I've just like gushed. gabbled, gushed. I've like it's. This has genuinely been like on Channel Five, which is like the most demonic television station <laughs> ever they're doing this thing called like in therapy at the minute and it's like lots of like D-list celebrities going to a therapist on Harley Street and channel 5 paying for it and it's like, awful and grotesque this feels like that though <laughs> no, this feels great. like you've been my therapist it's, but in a really lovely way I've quite liked it I've liked it
0: yeah. I think uh, it's important it's, yeah. a, it's a good one yeah, I, yeah. And we, well I think we should do more because we've not even yeah like, should we do another one should
1: we do another one in the summer
0: Ooh. Should we go to
1: the seaside and do one?
0: Uh, just not. You hate
1: beaches, don't you? I, just I bet you're the person that like, rocks up on right? holiday and you're like, get me the hotel room, shut the curtains.
0: Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I went on a 10-day holiday to room. We Bali. should go on a holiday I together. together
1: oh. I th- no, because because I don't think we'd irritate each other, because I think we'd do different things, but then we'd meet for dinner. Sorry, this is not relevant yeah. for podcast. No,
0: I think it is. Because... <laughs> because people can donate at uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can do a kickstarter Sophie and Jack's holiday
1: <coughs> I fly now I fly that's
0: that's good yeah because <laughs> it was out of that I'm taking a very long bridge over the water <laughs> to, uh, to Egypt Segwaying over. on a bridge <laughs> uh, so Sorry, here's right. my theory yep you know when babies come out and yeah. they're like born and they're screaming because they're suddenly there's light and there's loud noises and you're not used to that and everything is fucking terrifying I think that continues to happen throughout life. There's always going to keep happening things that are scary as fuck because we've never had them before and it's all overwhelming. So you're now in a situation where you, get to s- you have you as a baby, uh. the little baby, and it's fucking terrified. You know what's going to happen in the next 22 years of the baby's life. So you get to tell it something that might... It doesn't even have to feel better, but you can say something to this baby about the next 22 years of its life. You don't know what's going to happen after that, but you know the next 22 years. What would you tell you as a terrified baby?
1: Does this have to be, like, really short and pithy?
0: No, say whatever you want.
1: So, I'm going to link it back to M.I.A. She wrote an album... Called Matangi, which is based on like a Hindu goddess. And it's also her actual name, her Sri Lankan name. And uh, the whole album is based on the concept of one story. And it's like a Hindu story about this town. And I'm going to say this wrong. This is totally going to be like white guy tries to tell a Hindu mythology story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like there's two gods, and they're in this village, and they're set a task, and they're brothers. I want to say it's Shiva and Ganesh, but I could be totally wrong. And then I just sound like a horrible, horrible white person. But the story is beautiful. So there's these two gods and they're told that in order to save the village, one of them, uh, the two of them are going to compete to see who can go around the world the fastest. So one of the gods is like, okay, I can do this. He like jumps on a peacock and starts being like, zoom. Let's do it. Let's go around the world. And then the other guy, the other brother, just stands in his room, calls his parents, and just walks around them. And like, for me, that's what I would tell me. That, like, the world can be so much smaller than you think it is. And that, you've got to say we before me. And that, you can be a, like, revolutionary. But you could also just be someone that puts food on the table for two people. And that's as important. So that's what I tell me, is to, like, calm down and realize that the world is a lot smaller than you think. Thank you. Thank you. What
0: are the names for all the shows? That's Happy Hour people need to see?
1: Happy Hour's the new show that, the that's going to come out in Edinburgh this year. The documentary is called Happy Man, and do that should be Do you
0: have anyone to live
1: with in Edinburgh? No, haven't planned it yet. Oh, shall we? Oh, because we would be perfect. Because I'd like, I guess, like, it's got, I guess it's got
0: a flat. I, I could, could just come in.
1: Way. Really? Yeah. Okay, we need we're to talk gonna about do, this.
0: We're going
1: to do twenty-eight uh, episodes of this. <laughs> Doing Edinburgh. <laughs> <Denver. laughs> twenty-eight short episodes. <laughs> Very short. So, be having a fucking <laughs> washing up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> put on some fucking clothes
1: again
0: <laughs> you've gotten too comfortable with yourself
1: I got two <laughs> stars from That's skinny have a shame,
0: shame. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing this thank you. thank you Bye. thank you for listening uh, that was Jack Rook. You love him. Go Remember to go on to jackrook.com and see him on so I'm going to be linking in the show notes to uh, where you can find him. You know how to use Google. He's great. I mean, you know what I mean? We all know he's lovely. So I am about to do the thing that no one wanted me to do, but that I promised that I would, which is to give a shout out to all the people who've donated. Uh, it takes up an enormous amount of time and I'm not complaining I would I would do it anyways it's um you know it's almost midnight I'm uh, you know at my mom's house I should be sleeping etc etc whatever it takes a lot of time making this uh, editing it all of this anyway what I'm trying to say is when people go to either patreon where you can give like a uh, a regular amount of money for uh, yeah like you can just sign up and then you give a certain amount of dollars per episode. Or you can go to com and you can click donate and, um, <coughs> and uh, the, you can give a one-off donation. Just whatever you feel the podcast is worth, maybe 10, 20, 30 pounds, whatever you feel like, really. And whenever that happens, whenever I get a new Patreon donation or a new one-off, I just, it means the world. It means that I can say no to certain things that you know, would would have paid that same amount of money. But instead, I can use that evening or day to record more episodes and, you know, release them and edit them and, and all of that. So it means uh, an awful lot. And when I eventually do have, there'll be like months where I can't record anything or, or edit it, and I'll be able to hire a producer to, to do it for me so that you'll still get regular episodes, even though I'm working somewhere weird. So, And some of the people who, (laughs) if you go to Patreon and you give uh, $5 or more and you click the reward, you get to have me um, say your name uh, right now. Um, I'm sorry ahead of time for mispronouncing everything, but I want to give a massive thank you to some of the most important people uh, at the Mopad. The brilliant Zach Hilliker, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingrath. Victoria Greer, Marnie Biles, Phil Wubbles, mm, Olivia Hove, uh, Joe C., Jane Young, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy Beveridge, Beveridge, mm, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo, Ashley Cronin, Claire, Michelle Lincoln, Russell Hughes, Danny Beckett, Joe Green, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Rachel, Grace Suta. Sorry, Grace, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dijk, Amy Couch, Eleanor, Emily Rose Delks, Helen Galliard, Sarah Ferrera, I Kisseth, Cherie Dunphy, Emily Glover, and Daniel Riefer-Scheid. So thank you so much for being awesome. Uh, it It means a lot. It's really helping. If you can't afford to help, that's absolutely fine. You can go to Facebook, uh, sign up for our Facebook Facebook page, Made of Human Podcast. At Twitter, we're at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. Five-star rating on iTunes. I see you doing it. I read them every day and it makes me so happy. You're the greatest people ever. Uh, And yeah, thank you for making me so happy uh, being great people. I am disgustingly happy these days. Um, Oh my God, look forward to the next episode, by the way. Also... I assume no one's listening anymore, because this is the very end. On April 25th, a special thing is happening, right? It's happening in London, but it's also happening on the internet, okay? It's a whole day thing. It's happening on the internet. I'm not going to say more. We'll reveal what it is about uh, a week before that, but if you, you know... Maybe wanna you. You might already now know that you 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 kind of wanna stay close to a computer on the twenty fifth of April. It's going to be one of my favorite things ever, and I. That's, this is all I can say. It's a big secret, but. Mm. <laughs> very excited. So I babbled on. Thank you for being the best podcast uh, listeners in the world. I want to thank uh, Bailey Leonard for my jingle and for general friendship and to Linda Brinkhouse for my logo to uh, uh, Phoenix Artist Club and to Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. Thank you very much. And I'll speak to you next Wednesday. <laughs>